then we're going to get into this understanding worship series that we're involved in right now. So if you would, bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning because we are in desperate need of truth. We need to have our hearts pound, resonate with this declaration of truth. We thank you for those words we sang this morning, what we truly believe in relationship to you and to your son. And we would ask that you'll direct us today as we spend this next 30, 45 minutes uh, trying to come to a better understanding of who you are and how you work in our lives. Holy Spirit, speak to us as only you can. Continue that transformation process today and grant us understanding. Thank you as you do it. Direct us as we seek your will today, Lord. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're in a series talking about worship, and Jesus told us the most important thing in life was that you learn how to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So he's bringing us this all-encompassing statement in relationship to life itself that once we have this foundation of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything else can begin to build off of that. And life begins to make sense. It has purpose and direction and understanding. We used this verse last week. It's the first one in your outlines. You pull your outlines out if you like to use that. You can go on a Facebook and click on, uh, you know, if you have your Bible thing, you can click on your Bible thing and click on that. You'll find, go under events and go to Lighthouse Coastal Community and it has all the answers. So they're all, all filled in there. So if you want to do that, today we're going to give you the answers, but only little by little. So this verse here says this. Read it with me. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you, God, created all things, everything. And it is for your will, pleasure, that they were created and have their being. So last week we talked about this understanding that worship provides us with an energy to our being. That God desires to bring about this momentum change in our life that makes everything work. Our heart begins to beat for God with joy, with discernment, with an undivided commitment to him. And when that happens, our being begins to emerge stronger and stronger and stronger. And we find ourselves able to respond to life and all that's around us. And with that understanding, then we find ourselves focusing on this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This verse where Jesus tries to clarify to us not only what it means in relationship to our being, but what it means in relationship to our doing. I'll use that term today, doing, in relationship to our mind. So last week we talked about the heart. And that's a very emotional time. It was an emotional service, wasn't it? Very emotional service. And many of us came down and we were crying and a young lady received Christ. And different things took place throughout the service. And it was a, it was a wonderful time as our hearts pounded in relationship to God's calling and movement in our lives. But today, I want us to be less emotional and more intellectual. Sounds cold. I don't mean it to be cold. I mean, I want you to think about how do we love God with all of our mind? That's what we're going to talk about today. How do we love God with all of our mind? This engaging of God's majesty. 
engaging of God's majesty. Because you have to use our minds in order to do that. You have to think about it. You have to work with it. The intellectual aspect of, of worship, it's, it's a wonderful thing. For most of us, when we first discovered it, is we became a Christian, we began to open the Word of God, the Bible itself. And as we began to read one of these letters... We found ourselves reading it, and we said, I don't understand this. And you read it again. You said, I still don't understand it. You read it again, and suddenly went, click. You went, oh, my goodness. I got it. And we have this aha moment where it makes perfect, complete sense. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, and we go, oh, my goodness. And intellectually, we grasp it, and metamorphically, we change as a result of it. So two things happen. There's a perspicacious moment. Can you say that? Perspicacious moment. See, now you can use that word. The rest. I love that word. People say, Pat Sterling, you like this word. The reason I like this word is because it has to do with loving God with all of our minds. That he calls us to perspicacity. He calls us to this understanding. He says, dig after it. Search. Seek. Fight it. Until you grab a hold of it, it'll change everything. And then God calls us to metamorphosis. And, and that's a word that we refer to as called transformation is the uh, translation from that Greek metamorphosis. So transformation. So we have perspicacity or perspicaciousness, and then we have transformation. And we become these perspicacious people of God. Perspicacious people of God. And that means it's people who love God with all their minds, that they think about who He is and what He has done and what He's accomplished and how all that fits together. You see, each of you here have had times in your life where you've had doubts. How many of you had doubts after you became a Christian? Very good. The rest of you are liars. Okay? That's okay. Different sins. It's all right. Sorry. We have, we have these doubts, and we go, what's going on here? And sometimes they're intellectual doubts. And in order to grab a hold of that, we don't just say, oh, God, please just take this away. Please take this away. Please take this away. No. He gave you that so that you would use your mind to seek him and discover intellectually the truth about who God is. He has provided for us all that we need, but he calls us to seek after it. Loving God with our minds means we use our minds. God has given it to each of us in different areas of development. Some of you are extremely bright. In your class, you are the upper 2%. You are the ones that everyone disliked because you messed up the curve. And you went, oh no, he's in the class. I'm out of here. He's going to mess up the curve. I'm going to end up with a lousy C, even though I got an 80. It's just not right. And some of you were not the brightest person in the class, okay? You just weren't. You said, I just don't seem to have this intellectual capacity. And I want you to understand something. Because of that, because you didn't have that intellectual capacity, your issues of doubt in relationship to God were much smaller than the person with the greater intellectual capacity. You had far less that you had to seek after. You saw it in different ways. In fact, it tended to be your heart got bigger and stronger and stronger while theirs were, they were, they were having to spend all this time studying and reading and working with issues of doubt in their mind. And as they began to seek and they began to grasp what God was saying, God elevated them in terms of their minds and they love God with their mind more than you do. 
because they've expressed that love through seeking and searching and struggling until they came to that aha moment. They said, now I get it. Many of these guys are incredibly capable men and women. I said, guys, many of these people. And they have genius capabilities in terms of their minds. I've known a number of men in that area. I, I have to admit, I was one of the guys that they didn't like having in the class because I messed up the curve. But the reason I messed up this curve is because I really liked to study whatever it was we were in. When I, once I got into the Word of God, I loved studying. And I would go, wow, this is so cool and so interesting. And so I'd study these books and other people would go, oh, no, I have to read that. God wants us to love him with all of our minds. You're going to see these four books down here. I'm going to address them a little bit later when we get into it. It's uh, an interesting element. Um, God tells us we need to trust him, but he also calls us to verify. Trust, but verify. Psalm 19, verse 1 through 6. Why don't you turn to Psalm 119 in your Bible? Not, not one. Psalm 19. Oh, get it out there. Psalm 19. We're going to have it right up here. On, on the screen as well, so you can do either one. But we're going to walk through this very quickly. This is, this is one of the psalms in which God clarifies to us two interesting aspects of himself. He talks about the fact that he has provided us with what's called natural revelation, that creation reveals to us the truth of who God is and how he works in our lives and in life itself. And he's also revealed what we call special revelation. He does all this in Psalm 19. His power, his nature, you can see to it. The design of our creation says to us strongly, powerfully, that there is a creator. The creation points us to the eternal power and the divine nature of God. So Charles Thaxton, who is a uh, physicist in that upper level, 1% genius level, he wrote a book called The Mystery of Life's Origin. And within that, he talks about how DNA is a two-fold text message. DNA is a twofold text message. It identifies who someone is, and then it directs the person how to respond. Now, messages are left by messengers, right? There's no intelligence in the text message itself. It's located in the messenger who sent it. DNA is a text message from God. It says, hey, this is who you are. This is how I made you. This is the wonder of all that's taking place within you. Just think about the complexity of, of DNA and living cells. Frederick Creek, uh, another professor, won the Nobel Prize for his discovery of DNA. And he was once asked this. What are the probabilities of a single molecule of DNA, a single molecule of DNA, coming into existence by chance? His response was 0.0%. 0.0%. Francis Collins, by the way, you can look that up. And by, on this particular text, any of you that would like to have this text for me because you want some of these names, uh, just send it to me, email it to me, and I'll email this directly to you. So you have all these names, you can quickly look them up if that's your desire. Some of you will have that in you and go, I really want to know this. Good, then I'll get this. And you'll be able to quickly then identify the information that, that the Lord wants to speak to you about in relationship to these particular men and women and how they discovered this, this wonder of God himself. So Francis Collins, he is about 62, I think, right now. He's the head of, of the Genome Project, which is all about the labeling of DNA. 
And he shares that DNA points us to God just as all of creation does. He went from being an atheist when he first began to study DNA to becoming a Christian after he investigated the evidence and then he read the book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. Mere Christianity. And God spoke to him clearly and he gave his life to Christ. You see, the evidence, DNA points us to an intelligent designer. It's a text message from God. Science and faith are never, not ever, enemies. They are working together in different realms in the same quest for truth. In fact, almost all of the early scientists were very, very strong believers. Albert Magnus, the founder of geology, Newton, calculus, Robert Crick chemistry, uh, Copernicus, astronomy. God calls us to perspicacity to understanding, to grasping the wonder of who he is and what he has done. As the writers of the CSI TV productions like to say, and boy, they keep on getting more and more and more, don't they? The evidence leads us to this conclusion. The evidence leads us to this conclusion. And as we look at the evidence of all that is around us, we find ourselves concluded there is a designer. The idea that hydrogen kissed a bit of bacteria and two billion years later it became a frog and two billion years after that it became a prince sounds like a very lousy adult fairy tale. One that we would never believe. The idea that a single organism became a complex one through the theory of accommodation takes a lot of faith. A lot of faith. That's why we talk about billions and billions of years. That's the way you can act as if, well, yeah, after billions and billions of years, anything could happen. But I don't know about you, but what I found in my life is that systems tend to deteriorate. Instead of going from simple to complex, to go from complex to simple. That when I don't take care of things like my car, it rusts out and becomes worse. That if there's not some active interaction on my part, things don't continue to work. They don't get better. I wish they did. I've got a backyard that I feel like I'm constantly working at. It just doesn't look very good when I leave it alone. It tends to deteriorate rather than to create. Creation doesn't get better when we ignore it. They get worse. Paul Davis, an ASU physicist, in a book called The Mind of God, says physics led him to belief in God. In fact, he said, I believe the surest pathway to God is physics. The surest pathway to belief in God is physics. It directed him to the complexity and the intelligence of the universe. John Polkenholm, who is a physicist in Cambridge University, applies the same principles to science that he applies to faith in his life. Uh, for instance, we never seen, have anybody ever seen a cork? Someone said cork. Yeah, sure. I've seen a cork. You can't see a cork because it's too small. A cork is what holds atoms together, protons and, and neurons. It holds them together. It allows them to stay together. It's what you, all of you have them inside of you. You just don't realize it. In fact, many people call a cork the God cork. It's that which holds everything together. Similar to laminin, which is another remarkable uh, element uh, that, that brings about like a magnetic process within our bodies and our life and holds everything together. And by the way, laminin, actually the, the figure of it is a sign of a cross. So I, I find that kind of interesting. Someone would go, look at this. And I go, oh, that's cool. 
<laughs> that doesn't send me into jumping down joy. It just says, wow, that's really great. Lamin is one of those other elements of protein that shows us the reality of who God is now he's involved in our lives. But you see, as the scientists say, but I believe in quarks. I believe in quarks because all the evidence points to it. I can't see it, but I believe in it. All the evidence points to the reality that a quark exists and holds neurons and protons together. All the other evidence says this is right. You see, I believe in God, although I've never seen him. It makes sense of all the evidence that I do see. It makes perfect sense. This complex nature of our world, the multifaceted levels of reality, the fact that people long for worship and hope, that we would give up our lives for somebody else, this sense of love that comes out of where? The phenomenon of Jesus throughout the world today, the more you dig into it, you just go, this is incredible. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. You see, I believe science often forgets its job. The job of science is to point us to faith in God. Not faith in science. Faith in God. The theology of science tends to often demand that we reject God's truth for their truth. But you have to understand this truth, true truth always leads us to the true and living God. Let's take a look at this little clip here. It's kind of a fun one in relationship to this. Let's watch this. What we're finding more and more again, and this will continue to happen, by the way, folks, as soon as we begin to say, well, here's the reason for that, and some scientist who doesn't believe in God comes up with the reasons why we shouldn't, we'll find a new set of discoveries why we should. That's what God continues to do over and over and over again. Rex Sandage, he's the leading observation cosmologist in the world. He spent his life quantifying the expanse of the universe and finding quasars and solar systems, staring up at the most, with the most powerful telescopes in planet Earth. And at a conference in Dallas, Texas, which was about science and faith, this atheist stood up and he shared that at the age of 50, he had come to belief in God and he had become a Christian. He says, it was my science that drove me to the conclusion the world is much more complicated than can be explained by science. It was only through the supernatural that I came to understand the mystery of existence. They have no speech. They use no words, no sound. It's heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Science points us to an intelligent designer. It points us to a reasonable faith. Mark Twain said, faith is believing what you know ain't true. Faith is believing what you know ain't true. Is that what I'm called to do? I just blindly believe it? I say, no, no, no. Faith has its own reasons that back it up and support it. It's never blind in the process. It's with reason. Paul said it this way in a particular book that was written there in, in Hebrews. He says, faith is being sure of what we hope for, meaning what we know. Because of who we know and certain of what we do not see. You see, silence points out the invisible qualities of God in like a supernatural game of hide and seek. We see the foot of our God. 
He's behind the rock. We say, there he is. And he stands up and says, you got me. You got me. God is always available to those who seek him. This is a book we give out to all of our uh, new people here at church called The Case for Faith. It's written by Lee Strobel. And how, many, how many haven't read this yet? Who would like a copy of this and haven't read it yet? She says, okay, come on, there you go. You better read it. There you go. Now you're going to have to read it. Oh, man. Yes, yes, yes. She's the heart girl. <laughs> and I go, okay. Wonderful insights in relationship to the discovery through faith of who God is and how he works in our life. Special revelation. This natural revelation from God. Now, the second part of revelation is what we call special revelation. That's found in the next uh, section of this Psalm 19, starting with the verse 7. Starting with verse 7. So let's look at this. It starts off with this. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. And the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Uh, the law, that refers to the Torah or the ten words that God has given. And he's saying that there are no errors within those. They are perfect. They are the black and white areas in relationship to truth. He says, here's ten words that are black and white, cut and dry. These are absolutely, 100%, totally true. Always will. They'll refresh your soul. Your soul is made up of all those things of, of mind and heart and spirits. And truth. All, it, the soul is all of you. It's not just your being. It's all that you are. It's all the integrity of these things. We'll talk about the soul next week. And we talk about loving God with our soul. And we'll share in communion at that time as well. And I'll try to help you understand the soul aspects of communion itself. The statutes of the Lord are, are trustworthy. Making wise the simple was the second part of there in that verse 7. Making wise the simple. Here, what he means by this is statutes are uh, like state policy. They're trustworthy. In fact, the word for trustworthy is they are amen. They are amen. They're things we say, yes, amen, that's right. They're reliable. They, They clarify the law in terms of action or how we act out. They make us look smart even if we aren't. Make us look smart even if we aren't. Now, this is, uh, this is a great book that's mine. It's called My Final Word. And, and all these, I'm just starting to give out books here. So this is a book by Colson, And this is a series of, of short stories. He, he deals with a particular issue, talks about it, shares on it, and then he moves on to another one. Uh, incredibly perspicacious guy. Really, really bright. Came to know the Lord as a result of suffering through the Watergate era. He was uh, with President Nixon. He was one of those who went to jail. And then he discovered uh, God. Before he went to jail, he discovered the Lord. And then became a phenomenal, phenomenal minister for God in relationship to jails. One of the brightest men uh, I've ever listened to. Very, 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 very bright. Who wants the book? I see it all the way back there. Cash says, I want the book. Cash deserves it. And this is his latest one, buddy. You'll like it. It's really, really good. Really good stuff. Perspicacious. Perspicacious. We're supposed to be seeking after God with our mind. That The precepts of the Lord are right. They give joy to the heart. These are the principles, the principles of God, the life issues of God, how to love and care for one another, the general rules of how we take care of our children, of how we respond to friends. There's a lot of the gray areas in life. A lot of the great, they are not cut and dry. It depends on who they are and what their situation is. I love my children, but I love them differently. 
I love them differently. I recognize their needs are completely different. Uh, give me, for instance, Joy, my oldest daughter. Um, she's very, very strong-willed. When she was uh, a baby of two months old, she would shake the crib and look at me and tell me, touch me and I will hurt you. <laughs> it was in her face. I could read it. I could read it. She couldn't say it. She was like, I mean, I, she came out and she slapped the doctor and said, how dare you hit me? You know, that was Joy, a strong-willed child. Dobson helped me out so much. Man, I, was, I knew that book inside and I was studying say, oh, strong-willed child. How did I get this? The Lord said, are you really asking me that, Lee? Thank you, Lord. That was our first daughter, Mary Teller. What a wonderful daughter. But boy, she was, oh, she demanded everything from me. Then, for her, whenever she would be in trouble, I still remember, I turned to her and I said, oh, Joy, what would you prefer? Would you like a, a week's of grounding? Do you want a spanking? And you know what she'd always say? Spank me, baby. <laughs> really? You want, yeah, let me have it. Get it over with. I'm not taking a week of grounding. Then we had Danielle. Danielle, woohoo! she's like Wonder Girl, all heart. You turn to Danielle and say, Danielle, would you like, what would you rather, a spanking? And she start crying. <laughs> I go, whoa, whoa. or a week's crying. Oh, I'll take the week's grounding. Two completely different kids. Completely different. You respond to them differently in recognition. This is the gray areas of life, Okay. That's the statutes of the Lord of trust where they're making wise the simple, to make us look smart. Precepts of the Lord, right, giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Commands are what we need for healthy, guilt-free living. It gives light to our eyes. It gives generosity to our eyes. It gives grace to others around us. And life becomes powerful and meaningful. And we don't understand it. It's because we're giving grace to those people around us. We've learned the reality of how to do that and care for others. That although the commands of the Lord are right, and so we deal with truth and rightness, at the same time we give grace to people that are around us. Jesus talks about that generosity in our eyes that we need to give on a regular basis. Um, the fear of the Lord is pure. It endures forever. Fear. Uh, this is in respect to relationship to power. Uh, Mary had a friend here. He's got a skill saw. He's out working with a skill saw. He's you know my age, maybe a little, little younger than I am, and he's just working away, and he cut off three of his fingers. People say, how did that happen? I said, he failed to fear the saw. Folks, I fear. I, I, I cut things periodically. I'm scared of those puppies. I respect those. I do not take off the guard. Say, I don't need this hand guard. Take it off. Oh, oh. Those of you that are doing it, stop that. Respect respect in relationship to God's power and his might. It's pure. They're without rust. It will never rust. It always works. Always works. Okay? Third book. This is an incredibly difficult book. <laughs> okay? It's called If God is God by Randy Alcon. It's a wonderful book. Uh, as you can see, it's kind of thick. It's in relationship to sin and suffering, helping us to understand the issue of suffering, why suffering takes place in our life. He describes some of what the song Blessings by uh, Laura Story sings about. We had that earlier on that was played here, about how suffering oftentimes comes into our life to cause us to turn to God and discover his wonder and his majesty and his goodness. It seems like the opposite. And why evil exists and how is that all taking place and why we can recognize that God is good despite the fact that we live in a world that is not. That is not. Okay, who wants the book? I'm going way back here. 
See, John says, I want, I want. Well, John, yeah, we have a young lady over here who I don't know her name, but I've seen her a couple of times recently, so I'm going to give her the buck. You're very, very welcome. So enjoy that. Um, and all these are for you, by the way. I don't give these books after you give them back. These are yours, and someday you may want to give them to somebody else, and that's wonderful. I have a library full of books, and I am now in process of trying to give them all away. So if you want a book, I have it for you. Hey, I have it for you. My wife and I are both, I have to admit it here, we are both bibliophiles. We're both bibliophiles. It means we are lovers of books. So you come to my house and you're going to see this huge bookcase on the side. We just keep filling it, take out. And you say, did you read all those books? Oh, yeah. I read about two to three books a week still. So I, I, I just love to read. And I read a lot of fiction and I read a lot of nonfiction. I mix it up. I try to mix it up. I don't want to get too, too much... Uh, Heavy stuff. I don't read Francis Schaeffer every week. See, Francis, I say two or three books. I don't read this book in one week. Okay. This, is, this is a book you take a month to read. It takes a month to read this because he is so heady. He is so uh, incredibly perspicacious. And so you read a chapter and go, hmm, let me think about that. Huh. Think about that. Now, this one, you look inside, it says, I got this in 86. I actually read it the first time, the first time I read it in 74, and I read it again. I got another copy of it and read it, and I read it again in 86, and that was the last one that I have right now. It's in 86. And this deals with an understanding called the Christian Manifesto, understanding of how we respond to God in life and in politics and our everyday situations. It's a wonderful, wonderful book, uh, difficult to understand, but if you take it chapter by chapter, you'll love it. Okay, if that's your thing, if you're kind of a perspicacious kind of person that says, I really, really, really want to do that. Anybody here want to work on that area? I think Robert here in the back, huh? Robert says, I want it, I want it. Okay, I'm going to give it back to you, Robert. Good luck. <laughs> Francis Schaefer is one of the prophets of my day and time. Okay, he's no longer with us but phenomenally gifted in terms of his understanding of how God desires for us to work in life and how we're to respond to life itself. The words of the God are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. All the money in the world can't buy them. They're not for sale. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. They bring great taste to those that eat them. So those of you that eat God's words and that eat of those who have devoured God's word and then brought it out in a book to help us understand more clearly it, you will be blessed immensely as you learn to do that by keeping them. Your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. The keeping of truth sets us free. That's why Jesus talks about that in relationship to truth. Who can discern his own errors? We need God to clarify things, even his commands. Oh, we find ourselves becoming arrogant and prideful. He says, forgive my hidden faults. All of us have hidden areas in our life. How many of you have hidden areas in your life? Okay, hidden, hidden areas of sin that other people don't know about. Yeah. You, you all have these things, and some people know exactly what they are. They, they know you, and they know you have them, and you don't even know they know. They do. Scary, huh? Oh, man, they know about that? Yeah, they probably do. Because 
God desires to make us aware of the fact that we have hidden faults and others around us can help us deal with them and respond to them. And then we're blameless, innocent of great transgression because we listen to those that are around us. Uh, Think of Moses, Pharaoh. Um, He speaks to him over and over again, obey the word. And he disobeys, and his heart is hardened, his heart is hardened, his heart is hardened. And you see this over and over and over again. And the cry to Moses was, Moses, listen to me. And Moses says, yes, Lord, I will. And he begins to listen to him. And as he does, his mind and his heart is open in understanding of the reality and the wonder of who God is. And Pharaoh is the opposite. He refuses to listen, and his heart becomes more and more and more hardened, unable to respond. Hearing and obeying God's word transforms us. Hearing and obeying God's words transforms us. I love that writer of Hebrews when he says it this way. This is the same writer that talked about faith. Probably Paul is the one who writes this. Where he says, for the word of God is alive. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and even the attitudes of our hearts. Hmm. Loving God means we use our minds. We seek perspicacity, understanding. We become perspicacious people. And then the word speaks to our mind and says, you know something, Lee, you need more than just information. You need transformation. Turn to the person next to you and say, you need more than information. You need transformation. Folks, this is so true. You, see, see, we read the Word of God and we, we can, oh, okay, you know, I, I've got this and now I understand it. I said, but did it change you? If it didn't change you, you need to keep reading it until it does. See, loving God with our mind means we transform our minds. We become metamorphic people, metamorphic people. We, we light up. We light up. Romans says it this way, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Read that with me. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is not me changing me. This is God changing me by renewing my mind, by stopping the lies and replacing them with with truth. This is me working to align my thoughts with God's thoughts. And when I think God's thoughts, God changes me into a better version of me. It's Lee point two, three, four, five, six. It keeps on going. This transformation process, this new person. You see, life isn't so much about what happens to you, but how you think about what happens to you. It's not so much about what happens to you, but how you think about what's happening to you. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Same thing about stress. Stress is not about how much you have to do. It's about how much you think you have to do. When you recognize God is with you, his power is real, his grace sustains you, and when you're weak, he carries you. And then in your weakness, his strength is made 
perfect. And what used to seem like stress becomes an opportunity to tap into his power. People often ask me, how did you ever become a pastor? Why would you ever do that? Like I had a choice in the matter. And I go, it's not stressful for me. It's, it's God working through me. It's not stressful at all. How do you handle going to hospitals? I like going to hospitals. How do you handle dealing with people who are suffering? I like dealing with people that are suffering. I don't like them suffering, but I like sharing with them. I like praying with them. I like encouraging them. I'm not afraid of them because God is with me. He's always in the midst. In fact, every time I learn something new and I watch God enter into a special way, a new perspective, and I go, wow, God, you're transforming my mind and my understanding of who you are. See, in all of life, there needs to be, first of all, a conversation with God. I hope when you wake up in the morning, you spend time with God, because if you don't, you're missing out on life. I get up every morning, my wife and I both do, we're up between five and six every morning, and she goes to her spot, and I go to my spot, and we spend at least an hour just Ask the Lord to speak to us. We study his word. We pray. We think. Say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me. Speak to me. What does he have for me today? I am your child. I just want to be involved in your purpose today. Show me how you're going to use me today. Open my mind up. Are the people I'm supposed to contact or things I'm supposed to do? Lord, I'm so excited about what you have in mind for me today. And that's my morning statement every single Even when I'm depressed. I go, Lord, I'm depressed. But I wonder what you have for me today. And the Lord begins to take that depression away, bit by bit by bit. Conversation with God. Then I have a conversation with myself. I say, Lee, straighten up. Come on, you're a child of God. What are you doing? Are you listening to his word? What did he just say? He said, you're forgiven. Okay, you're forgiven. Yes, I'm forgiven. Okay. Do you, do you guys all talk to yourself? You guys, raise your hand if you talk to yourself. See? We all do. And we're supposed to. I have a conversation with God, then I have a conversation with myself, and then I have a conversation with you. Because then my conversation with you normally brings life into our conversation. God speaks to me. I listen to him. I share with you. It's like, oh, even when I talk to you now, I'll sit there, we'll walk over here, and I'll meet you for the first time. So I'm thinking, Lord, will you tell me what I'm supposed to say here? Please tell me. I want to bring life to this person. I don't want to bring bad. I don't want to bring death. How can I encourage them? How can I listen to them? My wife is far better at this than I am. She's, that's why everybody gathers around her and it's like, ah. Mary's always speaking life into people. And I go, Lord, help me to speak life into people. And, and the Lord speaks and works through me. You see, Moses, he meets, he meets God in the burning bush and he says, but God, you don't understand. And God says, oh, really? I don't. <laughs> okay. Really? But, Lord, I, I'm not a good speaker. <laughs> but you're not going to be the, doing the one speaking. It's me going through you. Well, let's use Aaron. <sighs> okay, I'll use Aaron. You just missed out. You just missed out. It, God's speaking to us. There's a conversation that he has, and we're interacting back and forth, saying, Lord, Lord, yes, amen, amen, good, 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 good. Yes, now I get it. Now I understand it. I meet Yahweh. The one who always makes a way. Lord, I just don't know how I'm going to do it. He says, I, I'll, I'll do it for you. I'll, I'll show you the way. I'll show you what you need to do. What's supposed to happen? Now go, really? Yes, I'm going to tell you today. Well, what about right now? No, I'll tell you when the time comes. <laughs> really? Yes, really. Okay, you always do. I'll depend on you today. Show me 
the way. You see, your thoughts matter more than you imagine. Our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And letting the Spirit of God control your mind leads to, in Scripture, life and peace. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful, lying desires. Instead, be made new in the attitude of your mind and put on the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You got to think first, what did God say about this? And then say, okay, Lord, enable me to do that. Your inner dialogue, it matters so much. It matters so much. If your dialogue is dominated by sinful, negative, and critical thinking, as opposed to being controlled by the Spirit of God, then you will consistently fail and fall and fumble. But if you're letting God control your thoughts, you will consistently experience a God-centered response. My God is with me. It matters. I've got a great calling. I'm full of faith. My life is full of hope and peace and joy. I've got this divine energy to do everything that God has called me to do. I'm excited for today. See, your attitude determines your altitude, but your attitudes determine... By the time you spend with God, sometimes you need to spend two hours with God. Say, I'm going to be late for work today. Yes. And you're going to accomplish a lot more. Because you need to listen to God. Have that conversation with Him. When your thoughts are full of faith of God's truth, you become more like Christ regularly. Simple question. I want the band to come on up here right now as as we move along. Simple question. What negative thoughts are dominating your thinking? Like, I can't get it all done. I'm a bad mom. His mom made homemade cookies, and I brought in Oreos. Hashtag, you suck. Really? Wow. He'd say this, they like the Oreos better. Really? Your life, your life, it moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. That's why Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might know what the will of God is. So you've got to ask yourself, what spiritual thoughts would demolish those unhealthy thoughts? Sometimes you get together with your small group and say, I'm struggling with greed. What do I do? And they say, well, you need to the scripture. I have everything I need as I do everything that God calls me to do. I go, okay, well, where, where's that? Where, where's the negative? I worry all the time. I say, worry's not your master. You need to pray with sighs and cries. Let your faith be in God, and then the peace of God, which surpasses all your understanding, will suddenly come upon you, and you go, oh, my goodness. I get angry easily with others. You need to start thinking, I'm not easily offended. I'm full of the unconditional, unstoppable, unquenchable love of God. It's in me. It is. This is not... I'm going to come up with these self-thoughts. This is, what did God say? What did God say? We put God first. First in our life. My life belongs to God. Daily I seek Him when? First. You get up in the morning and say, Okay, Lord, what do you have for me today? If you don't wake up thinking of that, you need to start. Wake up and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? And he will begin to speak to you right then. And you'll get up and you'll start doing devotions. And and you'll find over and over again, whatever devotions you're doing, it'll be like, that's exactly what I need to hear today. How did God know? Really? Really? 
He's just trying to get your focus there. My life belongs to God. Some of you think, well, Pastor Lee, I tried that and it didn't work. I was talking to Joe, Joe Vieira the other day, Joseph, one of our guys here, he's a terrific guy. And, and I said, Joe, when you speak Spanish, do you think English? And he said, no, I think Spanish when I speak Spanish. I think English when I speak English. How do you do that? You just do it. You don't think about it. You just do it. There's a switch that takes place. He said it, it took a while, but then this just took place. And that's, when I, that's, how, that's how I think. Folks, I want to tell you something. I don't speak Spanish. I speak spiritual. And I speak it pretty well. Because I constantly, constantly say, Lord, speak, speak to me. A switch takes place. How many of you have experienced that switch? How many of you have Many of you have. Some of you haven't. You have, I didn't get it. You need to work at it. The more you do it, the more you study Spanish, one of these days, you'll find yourself like some of our friends here, and you'll go, click, I got it. I didn't have to translate it. They said, you know, Give me a Spanish word. <laughs> yeah, my wife goes, Pokemon. <laughs> What's that? Gracias. We all get that, right? Did you guys have to translate that? Some of you, do, most of you didn't have to do that. Gracias. And you go, I begin to understand. I speak spiritual. In the beginning was the word. The word already existed. He was with God. He was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. Nothing existed, didn't make. He's the Logos, the Word, the Messenger, the Communicator, the one who makes DNA work. He's the beginning. He's the uncaused cause. He's the provider of life and light. He is creator of all things. He is Yahweh. He provides everything we need physically, emotionally, spiritually. We have a conversation with God. And then we speak to ourselves, And then He enables us to speak life to others. He takes chaos and he turns it into the cosmos. The sun. He's the radiation of God's glory, the exact representation of being. He sustains all things by his powerful word. He's the architect and the creator of life. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and the enduring word of God. He metamorphosizes us. He recreates us. And then he goes before us and he leads us and directs us. But you've got to start with a conversation. You've got to start with the reality who he is. It's a wonderful thing to look in creation and see all that God is and to be fascinated by these remarkable insights. But more than that, it's an incredible, phenomenal supernatural thing to be transformed by the very word of God. Father, today, we come to you as people who desire to hear from you. As we begin to pray, Lord, we're going to write down those prayers to you because we know that you answer them. So we're going to write them down and say, Lord, this is my prayer. Metamorphosize me today. Keep the process going. I want to be Lee Point Nine. I'm not satisfied with Lee point eight. Change me. Change me. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right?
going to listen to a song. You're going to write down some of your prayers. You're going to set aside your offering. As soon as the song's over, you're going to take an offering. And it'll be your last chance to listen to what God has to say to you today. All right? Good stuff. God bless. Seek ye first the King.